There were many readings from, uh, I could have chosen from the epistles, it was, um, but that one from the gospel we will mention later on. But right now, if you would like to turn back to Nehemiah on page 486, Nehemiah chapter 3, that would be helpful. And uh, you may find it helpful, we're not going to go through it all, but um, to have your maps there as well. As Alan said, we're in a series and we're up to chapter 3. Let us pray together. Oh Jesus, as we've just read of your great struggle in that garden of Gethsemane between your human nature, knowing the powers of evil uh, that were facing you. Thank you that you were focused on your Father's will. And we thank you that you went to the cross for us. So I pray that today as we look at the story of Nehemiah, that you will show us how we too might stand in the face of opposition. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a very brief recap for anyone who hasn't been here. Nehemiah, a Jew, was exiled in Babylon and worked, worked as cupbearer to King Artaxerxes around 430 BC. And he responded with prayer and action when he heard about the sorry state of the wall in Jerusalem. He, it had broken down and the gates had been burned by fire. Nehemiah courageously asked King Artaxerxes for leave of absence in order to travel to Jerusalem to investigate this situation for himself and to rebuild the wall. Having found it in a terrible state, he gets on board the officials in Jerusalem to help rebuild the wall. And so the people begin to rebuild under Nehemiah's leadership. But they weren't without opposition. Chapter 3, if you're interested in uh, the topography of Jerusalem, is probably the most important one in the Bible. And these um, maps that we've given you uh, may be helpful. It's the sort of thing to tuck away in your Bible um, when you are doing some Old Testament studies. I've, um, the, there are two there, as you can see. On the left, the map of Jerusalem with the walls, the gates, um, the towers marked. And you can see where it's mentioned in the verses there. And then on the right, the rebuilding of the walls and um, we weren't able to read all of the, the chapter 3, but it, it is quite interesting to try and follow that through and, and see these different groups of people. So it gives the names of the main workers, the households, the groups that did the repairs. It's always good to have recognition of those that work hard in the community, isn't it? So if you look at chapter 3, you'll actually see that it begins with Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow pr priests giving, uh, setting a very good example. It says, they went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. And then, as I said, you will follow through, um, and if you were on the map on the right, you will see, um, in an anti-clockwise direction, 40 individuals who head up the work 
on apparently about 45 sections of the walls. But do note that the, um, the builders and the work of rebuilding took all sorts of people. They certainly weren't all builders by trade, but they were committed to the work. I'm going to get you to sort of just uh, dot around a bit. You've got temple servants in verse 26. They made repairs opposite the water gate. You've got merchants in 32. You've got rulers in verse 12. He was the ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, maybe an MP, and he repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. So it wasn't just men there. They were all prepared to work hard and get their hands dirty, whatever their trade and profession, including the goldsmiths. Verse 8 and 32 and 30, 31 and 32. And also in verse 8, perfume makers. Just imagine what a mess hewing stones and clearing rubble must have made of their naturally smooth and delicate hands but everyone was willing to pull their weight. No health and safety, no extra gloves, I'm sure, in those days. Um, but everyone was willing to pull, pull their weight, except, that is, for the nobles, the aristocrats, I can't say that word, aristocrats of Tekoa. <laughs> Didn't say it right then. Uh, say it for me. Aristocrats. Aristocrats of Tekoa. I can say it mainly. <laughs> They disdained the manual labor and refused to be directed, leaving their share to the work of the common people. That's really bad news, isn't it? I'm actually very thankful to God for those in this church who are prepared to get their hands dirty, for those that do some of the manual jobs, for those that do gardening for other people who garden around here, for Bison who collect furniture and other things and deliver it to those who haven't got anything. For the cooks, for Christianity Explored. For those that cook in the community meal and do the washing up. For the group that did the cleaning this week while Steve was off. They all serve us as they serve the Lord. So in chapter 3 actually includes quite an interesting record of people working on a common task. But I'd particularly like you to notice their commitment to the work and also their cooperation with one another as they got on with the job that they believed God wanted them to do. You cannot build a wall without liaising with other builders. You cannot just say, right, I'm going to build this bit here like this and I'm going up and up. Never mind, you look. My sister actually learnt how to do dry stone walling, perhaps some of you have. And, of course, you really have to liaise with those. Not only do you have to choose the right stones, but you have to work together. So they cooperated with one another. And it also then demanded a huge job of coordination. It relied on Nehemiah's leadership to oversee and to delegate. That's probably why it's import important to notice that the uh, nobles of Tekoa just didn't like being told what to do. But Nehemiah 
um, oversaw and delegated. He kept the vision to make sure that the work went ahead. Again, I find it a real joy when we do cooperate together in outreach here at Trinity. We had examples of that last March with the various Passion for Life events, the small group that put on the climate change um, event, the team who put on the Transformation Art Exhibition. And I've seen an amazing commitment and cooperation of team planning and put, uh, in the putting on of the holiday at home for the older people over several years now. Everybody works together. They cooperate, they're committed, they cooperate. It does need coordinators, yes. But you know, I feel that the Spirit of God is set free as we work together. So let's not give up on working together and cooperating. Why do you think it was that the early church saw such remarkable growth? It says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, they had everything in common. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to holy communion, and to prayer. These were things that knit the community together and that the Lord was able to use in their growth. So we do not need, we must make sure that we don't neglect these things. So in chapter three, we see commitment, cooperation, and coordination. But then comes the big O, opposition, the O factor. When we're committed to God and cooperating with one another, opposition is inevitable. Why? Because not everyone has faith, nor wants to follow God's ways. But there's another reason. We're not just struggling against flesh and blood, but against Satan and his spiritual forces. There's a spiritual battle going on that's bigger than us, and we need to be aware of it. Earlier in chapter 2, we saw how Sambalat, the governor of Samaria, and his companions mocked and ridiculed the Jews for the very idea of rebuilding the walls. Now as we see how the work progresses and move into chapter 4, we see this opposition intensify and actually move up a notch. Chapter 4, verse 1. Sambalat was angry and greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and taunted them in front of his associates. His first method of opposition was ridicule and discouragement. And his se second was fear, the threat of attack and of violence. So let's have a look at how Nehemiah and the Jews dealt with it and what lessons we might be able to learn to help us with the opposition we face in our service for God. Ridicule and discouragement. First, a word of warning. Don't be surprised. If we are standing for Christian values and telling others about Jesus and what he's done in our lives, opposition in some form is inevitable. 
You may think, well, I perhaps haven't had much opposition. Maybe we need to say before the Lord, then am I actually being the salt and light in the community for Jesus that he expects us to be? Sambalat's great anger at the work going ahead is expressed in this vicious flow of taunts and ridicule. And ridicule is the Satan's oldest weapon. It attacks morale. It sort of gets you right there in the stomach and can have a fearful, even paralyzing effect on what we're doing. It causes us perhaps to stop, to take stock, to doubt, to be discouraged, and it certainly shakes commitment. It could have been so easy for Nehemiah just to retaliate or to join in some form of verbal fisticuffs. But what does he actually do? He prays. Nehemiah is a great leader. He remembers the Lord and he prays. And it must have been a public prayer because it's recorded for us in, chapter, in verses 4 and 5. I wonder what you think of it. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they've thrown insults in the face of the builders. Is it godly to pray in this way? To ask God to rain down their insults on their own heads? To cause them to perish and not to overlook their sins? Is that a godly response? We live in a society, in a culture, that would say, oh, no, 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 no. But I believe it is. Why? Because it's not primarily a prayer for human ret retribution, but for divine justice. To put it in other words, they may have said, God, they despise us, but we are your people, we're doing your work. May their words recoil on them. See what they've done and punish them. The people are about God's work. These men are opposing it. Nehemiah doesn't go out and give them mouth. He doesn't take avert action against his opponents, but he calls on God to redress the situation. Just as Jeremiah did. He, very similar prayer from in Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 23. In opposition, our first call should always be to the Lord. If we can't believe that he, the almighty God, can do something about it, then our view of God is too small. This doesn't call for ground-shattering faith, but just faith in a great big God. I know from my own life experience that God does allow opposition sometimes in order to strengthen our resolve. In 1993, I wasn't selected for ordained ministry. And again, I was not selected in 1994, having worked with um, a bishop. 
But I had a very wise spiritual director who asked me if God had recalled um, his call to me and to ministry. And I said, no, definitely not. I was already a reader and active in my local church. So he said, then you must minister wherever you have opportunity. And that's what I've done. I worked with older people in mental health and did further studies in spirituality and aging. And through those seven really quite tough years, I think I became better prepared for the ministry that the Lord gave me here in the last nine years. And I'd like to publicly say thank you to the Lord for not letting me go down that way because that wasn't the way that he wanted me to go. At the time, I was very encouraged by going to New Wine and hearing J. John repeat, uh, very amusingly as he would, quite a story about how he went to a selection conference and was not selected. And um, he was very flippant. Um, but, of course, he had such a ministry as an evangelist. Later, he, he was, I think, or he has been ordained, but um, that was like an honorary because of his work of evangelism. But had he been in that particular role, it wouldn't have been right for him. So sometimes I think the Lord says no and allows that um, to strengthen our resolve. So I'd like to say thank you to the Lord. I'd like to say thank you to the PCC and to Alan for the fulfilling ministry that I have um, enjoyed here as associate pastor at Trinity. The Lord may allow discouragement and disillusionment even, but handed back to him, it can be the basis of an even greater blessing. I learnt that in, in the time I, <clears throat> I was a missionary in Seychelles. I'm going to say it again because it was something I wrote at the time and it has been really important. The Lord may allow discouragement or disillusionment, but handed back to him, it can be the basis of an even greater blessing. And Nehemiah's prayer re-established the rebuilding of God's work. The wall had now reached half its height and the people worked with all their heart. Prayer is both the weapon and the strength of God's people. If we don't pray as a church, then we're, then we're going to be weak. The second method of opposition was fear, the threat of attack and of violence. Verse 7. When Sambalat and his companions heard that the repairs had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were again very angry and they plotted and planned a surprise attack. Some of the Jews actually lived 15 or 20 miles away from Jerusalem. I don't know how much they traveled in and out doing this rebuilding, but they got to hear about it, the, the, this um, plant, pl plotting that Sambalat and others were, were doing. And it says they warned Nehemiah 10 times in verse 12. Um, and we, the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. But what was Nehemiah's response? Verse 9, 
Note the we in verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Prayer and action should never be separated. In my former job, um, I had a very difficult colleague who almost daily tried to find fault with me or to trip me up. On one occasion, one of the residents was very worried because she was going into hospital for surgery the next day. And as I helped her get ready for bed, I told her that when I was worried about something, I usually prayed. And I asked her if she would like me to pray with her. And she said yes, so I did. I can remember I opened my eyes and her eyes were like saucers. The next day, this resident told my difficult colleague, who was her key worker, what had happened. And she was absolutely furious and reported me to the manager. There was no policy to say I shouldn't have done what I did. So each day, I would drive that final um, half mile, and as I drove that last half mile to work, I would pray another prayer. I would pray Elijah's prayer from 1 Kings 18 and verse 36. Lord, let it be known today that you are God, that I am your servant, and that I do all these things at your command. And the Lord honoured that time and time again. You may like to just note that reference. I recommend it as a prayer for you. 1 Kings 18, 36. Lord, let it be known today that you are God, that I am your servant, and I do all these things at your command. I commend that to you if you feel under pressure at work or at home, and just you commit yourself at the beginning of, day, of the day against opposition. The gospel reading that we had was of Jesus in Gethsemane. And I wonder if we could just have the, the visual there. Jesus was in Gethsemane under great pressure with all the forces of evil massed up against him. And I, I drew this cup of suffering. And as I was thinking about it, it was Jesus was there struggling with his humanness. He knew what lay ahead, the crucifixion. The, the, um, he was going to be not only ridiculed, but he was going to be whipped. He was going to be betrayed. And what did he do? He prayed. And he prays, oh my God, oh my Father, Does it have to be like this? Can you, will you, remove this cup from me? But not my will, but yours be done. As he came to the center, he was actually saying, not my will, but yours be done. And as we hand over our difficulties to the Lord, we're doing that. We're saying, not my will, but yours be done. But a little while later, one of the disciples, Peter, he faced fear. And fear got the better of him. He didn't pray. 
and he denied the Lord. Prayer and action should never be separated, whether as individuals or as a church. Thank you. If we just pray and take no action, our heads will be up there in the clouds. And if we just work on, if we just work without praying, we'll lack the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's a lesson we discover from Scripture and one which I've had to learn again and again. We need to live in awe of our Lord, of our God, to listen to his Holy Spirit within us and then do what he tells us to do. So we see the people return to their job. And finally, the third form of opposition didn't come directly from others, but from within themselves. And this may be an even more subtle weapon that Satan can use. It was tiredness and discouragement. The work was hard graft. There was so much rubbish. They worked long hours. The workers' strength began to fail and they began to think they couldn't finish the job. So Nehemiah took action. He stationed people in family groups with weapons and they were in the most exposed places. He boosted their morale by actually putting them together with their families and he gave them physical protection. And then it says he looked around. He stationed people in the lowest points of the wall, verse 13. And verse 14, after I looked things over, so he reviewed the situation, um, he then again publicly encouraged and envisioned all the people, saying in verse 14, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. They were there to fight for those that were right there with them. They were ready. And he set up an alarm system with a trumpeter by his side saying with assurance, God will fight for us. As Christians today, we're in a spiritual battle. It is relatively easy for us in UK, but we get these subtle ones, like this ridicule and this mocking, especially at work. And we need to put safeguards and support in place. That's why we need the support of small groups, so we can remember the Lord and to pray for one another. Twenty years ago, I met a missionary in the Philippines, and I heard him preach most passionately from Ephesians chapter 6 about um, how vital it is for us to put on the armour of God on a daily basis if we are going to be strong in the Lord. And he paced around and he said that every, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> every morning he would um, put on the belt of truth and he put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so from Ephesians 6, we too need, like Nehemiah's crew, in order to stand our ground, if we're faced with opposition, we need to be constantly prepared. It means taking hold of that shield of faith. 
that will actually absorb the darts of the, the, the uh, evil one. The sword, and then to, we also need to know how to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Bible, the Word of God. So we need to know our Bibles. We need to remind ourselves of what God has says and what he will do. And we need to pray at all times and at every opportunity for one another in the power of the Spirit. It's not just the work of a few dedicated people. It's for all of us. Because commitment is costly. Cooperation is vital. And, co and coordination, the role of the leader, is quite costly. But his job or her job is to point to the Lord, to prioritize prayer, and to provide practical support. So just in summary, commitment will involve opposition. But remember the Lord, keep focused on him. Cooperation is essential for mutual support. Keep praying and working together. Coordination, the responsibility of the leaders is to envision and to encourage our God will fight for us. And it's my prayer that God will so move among us that he will set us in love with him and in love with one another and set us on fire for him, to his glory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. Thank you that he remembered you. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to keep focused on you. That we will cooperate with one another. And that we will encourage one another. And I pray, Lord, that you will rain down your spirit in, on this church so much so that we're not able to contain it and that it will redound to your praise and glory this week, next week, and in the years to come. For I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.